welcome to Lumen Industries, my friend. <laughs> I wonder, do you think Lumen is a publicly traded company? <laughs> There is a company, I think it's called Lumen, not Lumon, right? So yeah. there's a slight you know, difference in terms of the spelling. But yeah, you know, <laughs> to be part of this state-of-the-art technology farm, right? Oh, biotechnology farm, not a technology farm, right? Biotechnology yeah. So yeah, happy to be here. It probably gets a conglomerate discount, but I bet it's pretty profitable. <laughs> Thank you for joining me in uh, this fun episode where we discuss Severance, an Apple TV show that kind of feels like an HBO show, but it's on Apple TV+. I think we both found it very interesting. So I was thinking we could at first give a little spoiler-free overview of why we liked it, like trying to convince the listener who hasn't watched it yet why they should check it out. And then we'll have the spoiler horn. And then after that, we're going to discuss all of the spoilers. So if you haven't seen the show, don't go past the spoiler horn. So do, <laughs> do you want to start? Like, how did you discover the show? Like, who convinced you to watch it? I don't know. And then why do you like it? Why do you think others should watch it? Yeah, I probably need to start from probably a few months back. I don't remember who was the first person who told me or like, you know, who influenced me to watch this. But my wife and I, so... First of all, we actually don't have Netflix subscription right now. We didn't have any subscription to any any of the like, you know, uh, streaming companies. One of the reasons is I am a sucker for thriller. <laughs> and I lose all my productivity. I just completely get drawn to it and like spend my whole day watching a good thriller. So I'm very, very, very selective before deciding to go for a show. So, you know, it's funny because I feel like different people have different sorts of challenges. So my wife tends to uninstall uh, Instagram or Facebook once in a while because mm. she feels like, you know, she spends too much time there. And I feel like I'm pretty good at like managing my social media time, even though I'm kind of a bit of a power user on Twitter. But I think I'm reasonably good at it. But I think I'm pretty bad at like managing my time and productivity when I find a very good thriller. So even that's true for, I'll, I'll, and I'll probably, probably explain it later, uh, that it came to fruition even for uh, Severance. So I don't exactly remember who was the first person who kind of influenced me. So my wife and I, we usually watch TV uh, when we are having dinner or lunch together. So we're just in talking to our, you know, ourselves like, oh, we haven't really watched any TV at all lately. The problem that I described about like my own behavior or like, you know, lack of productivity is, is more acute when I'm alone. Like if I'm watching with my wife, it's right. much more manageable because obviously I need to watch it with her and, and she's pretty good at it. She's <laughs> good at maintaining just one episode per, per day. So she has a lot more control and restraints, even if it's a thriller, even if it's like, you know, the episode ends at like with a, with a cliffhanger. Right. Oh, um, yeah. You, you shouldn't start watching Heroes season one. That, that <laughs> one is impossible to stop at one episode. But Right. <laughs> and, and that's why, like, and even if it's a great, great show, I try not to start something that has like seven, eight seasons. Like then I'll just completely lose it. I, I'll lose <laughs> my whole week or maybe weeks. Who knows? Right. So uh, anyway, so uh, so I first noticed Severance is just so far, you know, it's just a one season, right? I think I, I saw maybe some tweets, maybe by you, maybe by someone else. I, I don't know exactly who influenced me. And I we decided to kind of give it a shot a few months back, actually. And then I think we watched for like first 10 minutes and literally nothing happened. Like this one person is just walking 
and like you know and I'm like okay what is this like oh i don't have time for this and we just moved on like you know we just you know started talking to each other and we could shut down the show and yeah basically we never really got back to it uh, until like very recently i think you watched severance you know this time i remember who influenced me i think you watched severance and you you know kept writing about it on your yeah. newsletter on, on, on twitter and then one of our other common friend in my capital like who's no yeah. longer active on Twitter, but you know that's the name he used to write on t- uh, Twitter with. And so he also mentioned, like, uh, you know, I was talking to him over the phone, and he mentioned, like, you know, Severance is pretty good. I really like it. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll give it another shot. Like, Liberty is saying it, and my capital is saying it, and I'm I haven't really watched TV for a while. So I was like, okay, I'll I'll give it a shot. And I was initially planning to actually watch it, like, at the end of December. Now, holidays are going on. I don't necessarily have to be very productive. Uh, but after publishing one deep dive last month, yes, last month, I had like, I was like, okay, I want to take this day off. Like, It I, was your I, reward, right? Yeah, reward I for work well one done. day off. Like, and I, yeah, I just want to chill for this day. I'm like, okay, what, what do I do? Like, okay, I'll just watch, you know, this severance thing, like for the first episode. And I'll watch the rest in, a, in, 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 the, <laughs> in late December, right? So I watched the first episode. And there was a quote I want to mention, which really kind of, you know, hooked me. The good news is hell is just a product of morbid human imagination. The bad news is whatever humans can imagine, they can usually create. Hmm. That was a pretty compelling quote. Yeah, that's powerful. And, yeah. And, and again, like, you know, I after I finished the first episode, I realized this is the kind of thriller that kind of hooks me. And I literally finished the whole first season in like within a day on that day the day i kind of took a you know day off i basically you know just sat around the whole day watched the whole thing at a stretch so yeah so i, I you know it was also a reminder i need to continue to be very thoughtful before starting a new show there was nice foreshadowing there like i wanted to watch just one episode <laughs> the best plans right um yeah on my side i i don't quite remember where i first heard about it but a lot of people who's opinion I, I generally respect about like taste mm-hmm. all started watching that show at the same time like i don't know six months ago or something i think probably like john gruber and mentioned mm-hmm. it and a bunch of others and a lot of them were like i watched it all and then immediately afterwards i i re-watched it and like okay that's that's powerful right if it's right. good enough for that right yeah um so it was always kind of on my list but i was re-watching madman with my wife and we were always in other things right but when when that was over Severance was top of the list, so I, I gave it a try. And um, the way I would describe it without spoilers is it's like one of those good old from the 50s, like science fiction short stories or novels where you take a few really interesting ideas and then you build the world around them and try to mm-hmm. kind of take them to their logical conclusions. So Severance is kind of based on one of these things, right? The idea that you could sever someone's memory where when they're at work, they don't remember their life outside of work. And when they're outside, they don't remember what's at work, right? So it's kind of like a, a sci-fi thing in that way, but it's not sci-fi like with spaceships and high technology, right? It's mostly the modern world, but everything is like mixed, right? There's some, like old cars and tech, but newer things. And anyway, um, the other aspect I really like is the visuals are very, very good. I've always liked directors like Denis Villeneuve or Wes Anderson or the Coen brothers or all these guys that give a lot of attention to the visuals, to like the, the color teams, the symmetry of things. It's a very beautiful show. And another thing that came to mind while watching it was there's a science fiction writer called Philip K. Dick. 
a bunch of his stuff has been made into movies, right? So Blade mm -hmm. Runner is based on one of his novels. Minority Report is another one. Yep. And most of his stuff has a kind of like, what is reality, right? What's the nature of reality? What's a person, right? Is it our perception, our memories? Or when that stuff can kind of get weird, like Total Recall is another Philip K. Dick story, right? And I feel like Severance, I don't think it's based on the Philip K. Dick story, but it feels kind of like in that vein. So that's kind of catnip to me. Yeah. I think we can do the spoiler horn now and get into the <laughs> into the details. Yeah. So anyone who hasn't seen it, I recommend like pause the podcast, put it aside, watch the show and then come back because it's not the kind of show that you want to have spoiled, right? It's worth watching fresh. Yep. So let's ring the horn. All right. And here you go. On the other side. <laughs> Right. Do you want to start or should I? No, go for it. I mean, uh, I, I don't know where exactly you want to start. So I'll give you the opportunity to kind of drive the conversation. All right. So the first thing I noticed about it is that the lumen severed floor is kind of like purgatory, right? People really are stuck there against their will, right? Life to them is nothing but work all of the time, surrounded by all of the same people. And like half of those people are people they have who have control over them, like absolute control, basically. They have information and they, they have all kinds of punishment that they can give, right? It really, it really seems like your quote about hell, right? It's, it sounds like hell to me. It would be terrible to be stuck there. Only for eight hours, though. Yeah, but then you go in the elevator and to you, it's instant. You come back out, right? You don't even know that you've been gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean... You don't even <laughs> sleep. Right. No, I, th I think it is a very you know, thoughtful hypothetical And I have talked to some of my friends who say there are a lot of uncanny resemblance to what actually goes on. Like if you think about, like, you know, what is the purpose of a technology like that? If you think from a very capitalist perspective, it is very likely if you can completely sever those two personalities, what goes on in the office and what goes on outside the office, presumably your productivity will be higher at work. You don't necessarily get bogged down by what's going on in your life. Like we don't really necessarily talk about all the stuff that's going on in our life, you know, when you go to work. Uh, but obviously there are a lot of things going on in the background and that those things do, you know, affect our productivity, do affect how we do work at work. So the technology that Lumen Industry talks about or basically uh, came up with is perhaps, you know, some sort of capitalist dream, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, so... People have been talking about why is productivity so sluggish? Why is it not going up for the last, I guess, you know, 30, 40 years? It's despite the, you know, emergence of internet and like, you know, email and all, all sorts of this, you know, cool innovations that's kind of come around for over the last 40, 50 years. And I guess we need something like Lumen Industries. <laughs> so you're uh, making a pitch for it, right? <laughs> you're going to invest in the seed round. Oh, well, probably not seed round, but yeah, probably when they're, you know, <laughs> yeah, I can see myself buying a stock of Lumen. I'm pretty sure that, you know, that technology would be very, very valuable. But yeah, like, you know, one of the things that I kind of thought about, like what exactly those people are doing, right? You know, yeah. it, it is not clear, even after season one, they talk about like some of this weird stuff, like, you know, some just uh, numbers that, that appears and apparently the numbers are, you, once you see it, you, you, you feel uh, sometimes scared just by looking at the numbers. Sometimes if, you know, you have different emotions, 
it's not quite clear what exactly they are doing and what is it. They, even they don't even know. It's pretty clear. They don't know why are they doing what they are doing, right? Again, a lot of probably uncanny resemblance. If you are working at a very big company, your particular role almost has no bearing, right? And I'll mention something that kind of reminded me uh, when I was kind of watching what exactly they're doing. Like we, we know what exactly they're doing, like in a literal sense, but we don't know why, yeah, right? The purpose. Right. We, don't, we know the what, but we don't, we, don't, we don't know the why. You know, like we have big tech companies, right? You know, we have thousands of people working in these big tech companies. And it is possible a lot of people working in those companies may have no direct connection to the end result. That's like, you know, for example, someone like us, like someone like investors uh, care about, like, you know, even many investors want to can many of the projects that's, you know, these big tech companies are working on, right? They're saying these are actually, you know, value destructive, right? It's kind of interesting because at times it confuses me what is, like, what is valuable, right? Mm. So I'll mention a quote I kind of looked it up because this is, I, I obviously, I didn't know exactly the code by heart. So, I, but I remember I, I listened to something like this uh, in a podcast. So, the you know, I think this was like one of the episodes that invest like the best. The guest was Sridhar Ramasamy. Uh, he used to work at Google. Uh, he was, I think he, was, he used to run Google Ads business. And now he, he started his own, own company, also focused on search. So he, he's kind of now a competitor for Google. I think his company's name is Neva. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I've tried the product, yeah. Oh, I see. There's a particular bit that he mentioned uh, that kind of stood out to me in, in that episode. I'm, I'm just going to quote him now. The fact of the matter is that in today's world, pretty much anyone who can afford a smartphone has a smartphone with an internet connection. And as I said, it's very hard to persuade them to search more. But if you still want to grow clicks, what's left? This is where we begin to work our way towards a magical one pixel line. Because it turns out the only reliable way in which you can grow clicks is to take up ever so slightly more space, is to change things like what is the color of the ads badge or what is a layout change. And there is an incredibly motivated and smart team of several hundred engineers and product managers that basically kind of do this for a living. And it turns out that it's absurd how much money one can make with changes like sometimes changing the shade of the badge. Hmm. Not by any brilliant artistic imagination, but by literally running a grid of thousands of colors and saying, which is the one that's going to have the most return? They can make like a billion dollars more it's kind of insane how much is riding on things like this. And hmm. so again, like, you know, if you, if you mentioned to anyone like in 1950 that you can make a billion dollar more just by changing the shades of your blue color, that would sound insane, right? What are we talking about? Uh, you, you make billion dollars more just by changing the shade of the color. And obviously, like people who are doing this, they're probably pretty smart. People who work at Google probably are, you know, used to be very good student, you know, very meritorious. They did probably exceeding well most of their adult life, most of their in student life. Right now, they're basically some of them at least are doing this sort of thing. Now, in one sense, this is not really a good use of their talent, uh, just by changing the shade of the color. In another sense. Who gets to decide what is valuable? Like, how do you decide what is valuable? The fact of the matter is, 
by changing the shade of the color, they are making billion dollars more. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> it can be a bit presumptuous for someone like me to come in and say, you're not using your talent to good use. But then again, I don't necessarily think there are really black and white answers. Like I can, you know, someone can work on truly revolutionary things. Like, you know, think about you know, Claude Shannon that you recently talked about. He didn't monetize necessarily all the things that he invented, right? Does that make his inventions or ideas or thoughts less valuable just because we can't put a dollar amount to it, right? It kind of is, is confusing. I suspect, I don't know, obviously, I think possibly in season two, they'll talk about it, that uh, this weird stuff that they're doing, maybe it's, it's uh, there are two, two possible theories in my mind. One is basically it's kind of Google search, the shades of colors, like, like, you know, they're probably doing something that's like that. They're probably changing just in incremental things, but it has, like, you know, they are celebrating when they kind of met this quota after the quarter. Yeah. So there's obviously some relationship with reality, like what's going on in terms of numbers. Obviously, it's still a company, so maybe it has share and then they care about stock price. So once they meet the quota, maybe it translates to some sort of dollar in an amount or dollar value. That's my one theory. The other theory is basically... They're just doing completely made up work. It's, you know, they are basically, they are the projects, right? So Lumen is trying to make this technology work. Like how exactly are they going to make it work? They need voluntary people who would be willing to kind of go through that exercise and they have to give them something to work. And so they Hmm. get this computer and stuff and so that they can just click uh, all, all, you know, this stupid stuff all day long. So many interesting ideas in there. I'm going to try to touch on a few. One of them is about Google is like, I think it highlights the difference between value creation and value capture. Mm-hmm. And so Google is already creating a ton of value for the world, right? Helping people find stuff and yeah. information. And so the people changing the pixels and making the ads different are just increasing the capture of that value, right? They're not mm-hmm. creating necessarily new value for the world. Uh, that's a different discussion. But I, I wrote something about Google a while ago that to me was like a big, important thing. And I've never gotten any feedback back on it because I think people don't want to touch this. But my question was, is it ethical for Google to have ads that most people don't realize are ads, right? You and I, when we look at a re- result page, like we know what the ads are, like we can see the little badges. To, but, but I don't think if you went on the street and showed people like screenshots of things, like most people like they search for Toyota and they click the first result at the top that's Toyota and they don't realize it's an ad, right? And so the first real result may be the Toyota website but the company is paying for the first ad at the top. They are paying for something that people would get anyway for free. Like if the ads were like a totally different color with a different background, like super separate, people would get used at their ads and scroll down and go to the real results more often. But right now, they all look so similar that I think people are clicking on ads without realizing it, thinking that they're organic search results. So there's an ethical thing about that, right? That I think more people should think about. But that's a separate discussion. Back to severance. Uh, you just blew my mind at the end because it just made me realize about how often there are uh, like psychological studies where they tell the subjects to do something, but the study is not about that thing at all. It's about something else, right? It's about Sometimes it's about just watching the subjects, how they react to stuff. So maybe it's all pointless make work. And the real test is about the severance procedure, how people react to it, how people react to being stuck in that environment all day long. Or it could be something like that, right? It could be like rats in the cage and they're just being watched and they gave them something to do. Mm-hmm. Another theory I add that's in a totally opposite direction is that what we're seeing on screen is like, it's the perception of the people in the room, right? And they could be unreliable narrators. So what we're seeing could be 
something different from what's really happening. So to them, they can't even see what they're really doing. So they're seeing these numbers that are pointless, but maybe they're doing some actual work on actual data that Lumen doesn't want them to even know, right? So there's no way they can get it out, even though they're severed. So the chip in their heads could be doing a lot more than what we think. We think it's just about like splitting their memories between like some locations right inside the office and outside. But and and we we've had some hints of that right with the the test lab and the basement and all that kind of stuff and then Mrs. Casey who's she's severed but she seems to be only conscious in the building she doesn't have a life outside right she talks about how she has only like i don't know 16 hours of consciousness or something like that right so mm-hmm. maybe the chip can do a bunch of stuff that we're not aware of yet and so what we're seeing on screen is actually not even reality it's the reality as perceived by the people with the chip that's messing with reality um, yeah Two things I want to mention on the Google and severance aspect. Uh, so first, I think I, I should make it a, a bit more clear what exactly I was saying between like you know the search, you know the shades of colors and like you know uh, advertising result. Like imagine, like obviously people who are working on on those uh, roles, they have a pretty clear idea why they are doing it. They know this thing actually. They can see it leads to more clicks. It leads yep. to more advertising dollars. So they have a pretty good idea what's going on. They're definitely not severed, right? But in severance, like imagine if this Google employees actually didn't know. Actually right. They're just know. changing colors all day this long is, and they get some feedback, like, right? Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, right. Like why am I changing these colors? They're just randomly changing the colors and sometimes someone is telling you just met the quota for this quarter. And they don't even know what's going on. They just okay, great. Like I guess I'm supposed to celebrate, right? I'm supposed to go to a waffle party, right? <laughs> so or a melon party. So I, I think that's that's what I'm kind of you know I was getting at. Like if these Google employees had zero clue what exactly is going on, they just know they're they're supposed to change the colors, and the computer basically tells them, oh, you know, they're doing well or whatever, right? You know, uh, it's like something. Uh, some sort of like, you know, validation that computer will tell them. If that were the case, and these are like, if they were like all severed employees of Google, let's say, then yes, then uh, I think we could make a closer comparison. Obviously, that's not the case. So this comparison obviously falls short. The other thing is I, I can't get, a, a, you know, get away with a question about ethics about my top position in my portfolio, <laughs> right? I kicked the hornet's nest. Personally, I don't think uh, it, it is Google's responsibility. If you think about any advertising, like in a, let's Nike, they you know they're basically selling shoes, but obviously they they don't talk about just selling shoes on the, any of their ads. They talk about you know how anyone can be great, you know, anyone anyone can run, and all that. Those are great messages. That's fine, but nobody tells you, hey, you know, you can't actually run this fast if you are, I don't know, like you know if your BMI is like thirty five, right, or forty, right. I think this is not a com- any company's responsibility. Like, you know, uh, I think we need to have a baseline expectation for uh, society in general. Like, if you start giving disclaimers and, and caveats, like, you'll not talk about all the importance of You'll just talk- keep talking about all these caveats and, and disclaimers. So I think Google does show, Google, Google does show like, you know, ads, uh, you know, it's written there. Who am I to say that they need to also change the different colors? Like, that's their decision. Like, they will do what's best for them, not necessarily what makes me or someone else feel more comfortable. Sure, but I think it's still an ethical question. To me, the way I see it is like a publisher that also has ads. And it's like you're reading the Wall Street Journal and you read an article and you don't know it was an ad, right? 
if there's no difference, like visually, oh, yeah, yeah, no, ads, you like, mentioned it's an ad, right? Oh, and no, no, I, I know, I know, but over time, like the difference is more and more subtle, and I think most people don't know that difference, right? There's a small like ad badge that's like two gray letters on one side, and like that's pretty much it. So, I'm just saying that on paper, they write that there's an ad, but in practice, de facto, most users of the service click on a lot of stuff and they don't know they're clicking on ads. And so to me, there is a question there. I'm not saying it's 100% wrong or 100% yeah, yeah. right, but it's in a gray zone. And to me, it's closer to like a newspaper where you can't differentiate between the content and the ads too easily. If you really look for it, you can. But most people, yeah. like they don't realize they're reading ads, right? My personal opinion is... Like, I, no, I, 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 I get your argument, and this is not an unfair argument, but I personally think this particular point is perhaps much more egregious for Amazon than Google. Like, I, even I myself struggle. Like, you know, if I search something on Amazon and you tell me, what is the organic result here? I couldn't probably tell you. It's just so much, so many, like, sponsored ads or sponsored result. It's very confusing, even for me. I think it's for most people. Google, to me, it's actually much more clear. Again, but I understand your point. Um, most people may not realize this. And again, I'm also a shareholder of Amazon, so I'm not really bashing them too much here. Uh, it's just an opinion that I have. And I'm pretty sure they make a lot of money by doing that. Oh, Basically, yeah. I feel like everyone is forced to advertise. If you are a third-party seller on Amazon, you, are probably, you probably have to advertise if you wish to scale your business in any form or fashion. I think it's a good comparison. I think it's a similar problem in both cases. And uh, the main difference I have is that in a store, it's all products that you can buy. With information, sometimes I think th there's kind of like a wider range of things that you're not expecting to be ads, right? To be commercial uh, interactions. But I think both companies should be careful about, I don't know, making clear what's paid placement and what's something that you're the algorithm has determined is the best answer to your question. But back to severance, because we could talk about, I'm sure, Google and Amazon. Yeah, we keep going, going back to, you know, the stocks, right? <laughs> yeah, we can't help it. It's tangents. Ten, it. The tangents are good. Yeah. Uh, there's a, a show I, I've started watching. I've watched maybe like six seasons because of you. You convinced me it's The Office. Um, <laughs> it's my favorite. I've never worked in an office. So I kind of like it's in the culture, right? I always knew what it was kind of yeah. like. But that show, I think, is very good at uh, uh, satirizing that world. And I feel like Severance is kind of like a, a, a bizarro office, right? It's kind of like The Office, but through a weird prism. Because there's still the like infantilizing corporate BS, you know, with all the rules and regulations and people talk to you like your children. And But there's also, like in Severance, there's so much menace below the surface, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is like, oh, everybody's so nice. Yeah, like you can win this. and and But like, be careful because maybe they're not going to be so nice, right? If you don't follow the rules, they'll use the bad soap. Or there's there's all these little references that are kind of like super creepy. And I don't know, I, I, I couldn't help but think of The Office, but through a Philip K. Dick kind of prism. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because you mentioned about the office and severance comparison. I think there is. So I used to think like I came to America in 2017 before like, you know, I think even I started watching office, I think in 2017. So right after I came to US, I think I started watching office and my initial impression, I also didn't have idea about, you know, working at an office in the US. I have some idea, like, you know, when I was in Bangladesh, I used to work at an office. So I have some idea of office, but not exactly how it is in the US. Is it very different? I'm curious. In Bangladesh, is it very different? Or is the corporate culture kind of like, has it been globalized by now? 
Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of similarities. I think these are more of human conditions and cultural conditions, yeah. right? Uh, so, yeah, there are a lot of similarities. Uh, but still, like, you know, I think when I was watching Office, I my initial impression is, yeah, this is like a satire. Like, you know, obviously, this doesn't happen in real life. Like, And, <laughs> and over time, I'm increasingly more... Uh, reserved on making the judgment like <laughs> nah, a lot of that is ha- actually a lot of it actually does happen in the real world right if you just you know observe what's going on with elon musk like and or you know a lot of this other stuff that's kind of going on like you know or like sbf <laughs> like if if someone basically uh made a movie and say it's fiction i like yeah they probably went overboard with the you know the fictional character uh, this doesn't happen in real life but now that we know that a lot of things that are kind of coming, kind of coming out from you know some of these companies or from some of these characters, it does make me think uh, the reality can be stranger than fiction. And I think the beauty of reality is because it's real, you can't really say, "Oh, this is like impossible," and this is like BS. Anything that's fiction, like you can always kind of you know put a value judgment on that, like, "Oh." This doesn't seem realistic. Like it, it seems to be, uh, you know, oversimplification or some sort of like you know too satirical depiction of what goes on in like corporate life. But I don't know. Like the world is a strange place. It's a, you know we are eight billions now. There are lots of permutation and combination that's going on, right? I feel like, and that's why I kind of mentioned that the initial quote. Although that's about hell, you can omit the word hell and can talk about the world, like. There's so many of us, I think anything that you can think of, any sort of like, you know, positive or negative, some sort, you know, some, some of that is probably going on in some part of the world uh, by some of the people, right? So, uh, so yeah, I'm pretty sure there are Michael Scotts out there uh, <laughs> in the real world managing their company the way he does or he did. So, yeah, uh, and severance, we'll see. Like, you know, I always think about, whenever I think about technology, the kind of comparison I think about is like, if 1980, in 1980, if someone told my mother or father that you would be able to talk to your son who will be in the other side of the Atlantic, you can actually, you know, see him, right? Hmm. You can you can see him and Mark Zuckerberg is trying to create a sense of presence. So maybe when the metaverse is available, my mother may start feeling like I'm actually sitting with her. If you kind of start explaining this. And again, most of it's gone almost free. Like, obviously, we, we pay for the internet, but we are having, you know, uh, this call. We're not really paying by the minute, right? Oh, uh, yeah, for the utility we're getting, it's basically free, right? The marginal yeah. cost of a gigabyte is very low. Right, so if you kind of explained everything that's going on in today's world, someone who is in, let's say, Bangladesh in 20... Uh, sorry, Bangladesh in 1980, right? My parents would probably think you are completely out of your mind probably lost it like you know you're some crazy scientist basically you just went complete crazy so that's 40 years right so 40 years from now all the stuff that my kids or grandkids can tell me it has like you know again this is a very kind of Occam's razor principle but that's how I kind of you know like to think like anything that they will tell me in 40 years should sound batshit crazy to me today (laughs) <laughs> right yeah no. and maybe even there's a theory that the pace of change is accelerating right it's right. not linear because change is building on past change so the next 40 years 
you know, may have as much change as the past hundred years, or I, I don't know, right? Who knows what the, the logarithm is, but it could be yeah. even worse than we expect. Exactly, right. So if it accelerates, my God, I don't know what's going to happen. But yeah, like, you know, what's the other uh, Netflix series called? Black Mirror, right? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. the Black Mirror episodes and like uh, Severance. Obviously, these are fiction, so reality will not match them to every minor detail, right? But some shades of these ideas potentially can be implemented. Like if think about even even some sort of medicine, like you take like a tablet or, or, or some sort of you know, medicine and you have like five X year productivity for the next five five hours. Like we know there are some stuff that's like people take some drugs to kind of, you know, do something like that. So yeah, these things can be you know, more widely available with a lot less side effects, right? Uh, who knows how productive people will be in 30, 40 years and you know, how, you know, spend their time at work or, and, and their personal life. So again, like you know, anything that, that's going to happen in 40 years, I feel like it should sound batshit crazy to me today. Uh, and I probably can't even verbalize it standing in 2022. Yeah, maybe people will be really productive at having more meetings and more email and more. <laughs> <laughs> they'll spin their wheels faster. Um, so I'm curious to have your thoughts on a few of the big uh, plot points in Severance, because there are some like, I, I, I don't know, right? That's one thing I have to mention. I wrote about this, but I was expecting the finale to give us more answers. And now it feels like it's kind of like a cliffhanger in the middle of things, right? It feels like half of a, a series in some ways, which isn't bad if they deliver on the second season and it's kind of, it becomes the whole thing, right? right? But it's kind of frustrating in the meantime because I expected more answer and then fade to black and then it, ah, that's right? how they, you know, hook people like me. You know, if there are season two, I'm pretty sure I'll be watching it the next day, right? So yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I expected like maybe not everything to be answered but like 70 percent of answers and then on second season you build on the remaining 30 percent right but right mm -hmm. now it feels like me we have maybe like i don't know 20 percent answers so one of the things i can just i can't i'm not sure what they're going with it is like the whole time we think that mark's wife is dead and then we realize that miss casey that the mm -hmm. psychologist that they meet a few times for wellness checks which are very orwellian things that she's mark's wife and so where are they going with that and uh Miss Cobell, uh, who pretends to be Miss Selvig on the outside, seems extremely interested in the relationship between the two, right? She watches on the monitor when they're together. And that seems to be part of the experiment, right? Like, mm -hmm. can they, I don't know if they're trying to make them remember or they're trying to make sure that they don't remember, but they seem to be trying to trigger some emotional stuff. Like when Mark is, is in a wellness check with her near the end and she, she asks him to sculpt his emotions or something and he sculpts a little tree. And that's probably the tree that he went to see where we presume she had a car accident and she died right so is he remembering some stuff on an emotional level and then she seems to be going back to the test floor right the kind of r&d lab in the basement or something uh, do you have any theories about what's going on there or is it a total mystery to you too it is more of a mystery to me than any answer that i can think of one thing that i'm more or less certain is a lot of people are lying there what, what's the name of that lady cobell cobell yeah miss cobell even the uh, other guy, I, I can Mil Milvich or Milchik. Milchik, yeah, Milchik. I think they clearly know much more than these other four people in that office uh, or in the uh, macro refine refinement data. You know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, someone made a joke on Twitter that you know investors and financial people. Well, we're all basically just doing macro data refinement. 
but yeah, like, you know, it's possible that uh, some some people know much more. And that's why I, it is perhaps likely that my second theory is more correct, that actually they're, they're doing nothing. They are the product, right? So Lumen is a biotechnology farm, right? So they are trying to figure out technology or medicine or whatever to basically, you know, improve people's productivity, let's say. How do they do that? They have to kind of, you know, test it right? So they need volunteers. And once they're in the office, they basically just give them, you know, made up work. But there are people within that building, like Ms. Cobell, like Armilchik, who know a lot more uh, than what's going yeah. on. And, and that's the thing. If the data was that secret, wouldn't those people be severed too? Or like, because they seem to have access and they go back and forth with the outside. And, yes. and so, yeah, I think it would support the theory that it's basically just BS. Yeah. Uh, and, and to the point of... Uh, the macro refiner, refinery data, right? Is that the name uh, of the Macro data refinement, I think. Right, yeah, macro data uh, refinement. MDR. Yes, there are. Like, you know, I, my friend was mentioning that when I was kind of, you know, talking about this Google analogy, and he was like, yeah, but, you know, how is it so so different for, like, you know, compared to what we are what we are doing? We're just talking about numbers, like what's the next months or next quarters, or like, you know, whatever, like even like five years down the line. And these are just, you know, uh, kind of numbers that you're talking about. And some numbers are scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same thing. Sometimes you some see earning release and the numbers are scary. Oh man, yes, yes. Right. We're just in MDR. Right, there is, there, yes, we are all part of the MDR team right now. So yeah, I mean, uh, the, what I basically told my friend is I have, I am under no delusion that my particular role or my particular job has any outsized importance mm -hmm. uh, to whatever that's going on in the investing world or, or like, you know, capitalism in general. I will not be missed if I stop doing what I'm doing today, right? Uh, yes, I mean, I'm, say, I'm not saying that nobody will miss what I do, but I'm saying in the grand scheme of things, my absence will not be felt in any form or fashion. I miss you. But... The way I kind of think about it is like, you know, as a whole, our work has value and importance. Like, it is very much possible. I also gave this disclaimer to my friend. Like, obviously, I'm part of this, like, you know, investment management industry. And, you know, you can have your, uh, like, own rationalization. Like, oh, this work is important. Like, you know, this industry is important. So I can have my own biases. And so with that caveat out or disclaimer out there, I do think, like if, like I, like imagine if there is no active management, like we talk about passive and Buffett talks about how great passive is and I, I, I generally agree, uh, but if you take the, if you take it to the extreme that there is no active management, there will be no capitalism, right? Yeah. It, it will be even more random. Like it is already random, right? Uh, we are not a very good capital allocator as a society or, or uh, you know, uh, especially in the short term, in the long term, like hopefully, you know, we are good enough as, as a market in general. But at, from time to time, market can be very, very bad at allocating capital. Right. And if you have no uh, active management, then, uh, you know, in some I, I, I think that is the kind of death knell for capitalism. Uh, yeah. it, it, someone needs to or some, not someone like not a, not a single person, but a group of people needs to think about how to allocate capital. And I do think like, you know, that's why I, I mentioned like, I, 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 like, you know, anyone who is investing, even it's $10, $20 or 10 million or 20 billion, right? You are a capital allocator. You are allocating your capital. 
to the ho- potentially best use of that capital uh, to someone who can who have better ideas uh, in terms of how to use the capital. So if you think in th- that way, this industry is incredibly valuable, right? And again, like in a, it has some sort of uh, relevance to what I was saying about Google Ads. Like you know, your particular if your job is basically just to change the shade of the color. Like, yeah, that doesn't sound too exciting, right? That doesn't sound like, oh, you know, it's a good use of your your own, your own talent. But what it does is it gives Google billions of dollars, which they reinvest at, you know, a lot of investors' uh, chagrin uh, to, <laughs> to Waymo, to in the Google Cloud, to uh, all this. Right. All, all these other stuff, right? So... And yes, like, you know, uh, a lot of those things are probably a lot more valuable work. Again, you know, I'm using kind of a quotation when I say uh, valuable because it's not quite clear how, how you even define that. And I think over time, as, you know, the capital flows from, uh, you know, NZS Capital mentioned this, like a lot of this innovation that's going on are basically just a lot of R&D that's just going on is basically advertising funded, right? Yeah. Uh, and it kind of annoys me when people you know, shit on advertising and uh, how we, we, you know, everything needs to be subscription based. We need subscription in social media and all that, right? Yeah, but again, we definitely underestimate uh, the positive impacts advertising had, I guess, in a, in a much broader sense. Like, you know, when I was visiting, let's say, a restaurant, like, you know, when I, whenever I go to, like, any new place, I usually search on, like, lunch near me or dinner near me. And I'm not... Clicking any ad, I'm just you know looking at the ratings and just go to the probably top ratings any restaurant which has like top ratings, and I would probably never know that restaurant or there is a low probability not never like there is probably low probability I'd find that restaurant. But what exactly they're paying to Google? They are basically getting a lot of value, like you were saying, value creation. So I, I do think a lot of these big tech companies created enormous value. Oh, yeah. And now, obviously, they are also trying to capture a lot of that value. Like, it's always that balance. That's always the tension. I do think in an individual sense, very few people have an obvious impact or very few people's absence will be felt in almost most industries, right? Even if Buffett dies... It's not the end of the active management world or like it's almost think about it. Buffett has been such a towering figure for the last, you know, five, six decades. And even his absence will probably be forgotten. I don't know, maybe in 20 years after he's gone. And we will still read his work. We'll still read his shareholder letters probably for more than two decades. But there will not be any obvious absence in, in the active investment management industry in general. It's not like our society's ability to allocate capital will be significantly diminished just because Buffett is not there. Yeah. Right? And that's part of what makes it robust. Yeah, there may be some marginal impact, but it's so marginal, it almost doesn't matter. Right? I think the entrepreneurs, like, you know, more visionary entrepreneurs may have more, uh, like, you know, may, may have more contribution and their absence may be more felt. Would we be able to invent a reusable rocket? Yes, we would. We will, even if there was no Elon Musk. Even if there are no particular founder or entrepreneurs at any point of time, I think we would come to those inventions at some point. Yeah, the timeline could be very different, right? The same thing with the iPhone. At some point, you, well, you have all the pieces, you put them together, maybe not as well as Steve Jobs did, but probably not as early as he did. It's more about bending the curve than about like totally changing the world um, Though that happens too. 
uh, it's just probably rarer. Mm -hmm. Like some, you know, big world events like World War II or whatever, like some of that kind of stuff, like that leaves traces in everything for decades and decades afterwards, right? So sometimes just one person making one different decision there could be very different. But the capitalist system, part of the strength of it is that, as you say, it doesn't depend on one person to mm. keep running because then when, when that person's gone, right? Um, I think in France, they have this uh, dirigiste system, right? Which really about like the government decides, okay, we're going to invest in that industry. We're going to yeah. do this. We're going to do that. Well, when the person changes at the top, that makes a huge difference, right? It's a lot less decentralized. So I don't even remember how we got to capital allocation. That's the beauty of, of these I'm conversations. Sure that, that's <laughs> where we will end up, regardless of what's the topic at hand. <laughs> yeah. So um, back to Miss Casey. One other question I had. I'm trying to understand what they do in the test lab in the basement, right? So we assume that she's only been conscious for a few hours because that's what she tells us. But what if she's awake when she's in there, but she's a different person and they do all kinds of other tests or other things in there with people that are conscious, but they're severed in a different direction, right? Instead of having someone on the other surface and in the basement, they have someone in the basement and someone else in the sub-basement. So that, that could be interesting to find out in season two. That's just a theory. So Miss Casey is the one... Uh, uh, she's Mark's wife. Mark's right. supposedly yeah, her wife. I think there are a lot of unanswered questions about Miss Casey because she is not alive as an outie, yeah. right? She's just an any character. I think the power of the technology is perhaps much more profound than what has been told uh, mm. to us so far. The initial premise was it's just, you know, two versions, any and outie of every single person, right? But now we have, as kind of the season progressed, we, we got to see there are a lot of different dimensions. So one is Casey, Miss Casey. The other question I, I had was, did Miss Casey go through the severance process without telling Mark? How did she end up here? Basically, the you know, show tells us as Mark was grieving and he just he was just trying to kind of go for an escape for, you know, these eight hours of the day, as it was too much for him to kind of, you know, grieve for his wife. So one possibility is that Miss Casey, without telling Mark, already went through the severance process and she was already a character and then she died. So, mm. you know, the Eni lives on, but the Outie has died. That could be one explanation. The other explanation could be they can just create characters, right? Yeah. Are they clones or can they change people's memories, right? So oh. did, they, did they invent the car accident and it never happened? But then Mark's sisters knows about it. So they would have to fake it for everybody or, or is the company that all powerful that they can like bring in his whole family and implant some false memory in all of them? Like that's my next question, right? Miss Cobell, aka Miss Selvig, Mark's neighbor, the nice lady next door, right? Who's also his boss on the inside, who's kind of a hardcore badass, right? She throws a mug at him and she's like really intense. Yeah. Why is she living next door to him and pretending to know him and keeping such close track on him, right? Because to me, that life seems fake on multiple mm -hmm. levels. If she's a boss in there, why is she driving that old crappy car? And like, so it seems like it's almost like the company gave her an assignment, right? Okay, you're, we're doing something very special with Mark. He's, yeah. he's very important to us. Like your mission is to keep an eye on him, like even on the outside, right? That's your special mission. You're going to be compensated, but it's like being an undercover cop, right? You live the life, like even when you punch out. But when you see Miss Cobell's house, like she has a shrine to Kier in her house, right? She seems to be a true believer. So when you see her, she seems super cynical and you kind of think like, ah, it's work to her. But then she seems kind of like 
having religious fervor for the company too and she's a very confusing character and i don't know she goes very far for the company right at the funeral trying to get back the chip and that kind of stuff so i'm looking forward to learning what's her deal yeah i mean i think the mysterious thing is at least to me it feels like she's not even part of the top management yeah she's not part of the board of directors like there seems to be a, a, probably a few more layers Oh, from, they fire her like like it's nothing, right? Right, exactly. So it's just so she doesn't even seem to be such a central character from Lumen Industries' perspective. So maybe it does seem like they haven't told us the extent of the power of this technology or what exactly they're trying to do because there are a lot of, a lot of loose ends here. So you have uh, Miss Cobell who has the same consciousness as Ini and Audi, right? Yeah. So she knows what's going on in there. So it's obviously a very, very super top secret, right? Uh, because the rest of the world knows these are completely different. Like you don't have consciousness. So it's kind of fine. Like these companies is trying to probably improve productivity and all that. It's a new technology, right? So the rest of the world is clearly not aware of it. So it's super secretive, but it's held by people. The secret is held by people who also don't seem to be super important. So what if they go rogue, right? Mm. So if you fire, like, why was Lumen not afraid that, hey, if we fire Cobell, she can just tell this stuff to the rest of the world. So what is holding Miss Cobell back? And why would she not be? And, and she clearly cares about Lumen. She, like you were saying, she yeah. went back and she was still trying to help despite being fired, right? So, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like... Uh, we don't know the extent of the power of the technology that the show talked about. Maybe they assume she won't say anything because she knows how powerful Lumen is and how they have reach, right? They can find you even outside. I don't know. But we clearly see how, like, at the end, when you see where Heli wakes up and there's, like, this big press conference with all the photos that Milchik was taking. And yeah. it's like, they really want to market this thing, right? We sell it and it's so glossy and, like, all the photos look so good. And it's like, it gives you a... A hint at how, like, in real life, how a good PR company can <laughs> make your product really attractive. And yeah. like, there's all these videos of her talking about how great it is to be severed and how many things have we been sold that way. And it works. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Uh, like I said, uh, because it's fiction, we it's very hard to find exact resemblance. Yeah. There are shades of resemblance, for sure. Yeah, a lot of corporate speak almost has no bearing with reality or, or like, you know, it, it's just so much massaged in a way that you have to take it with a lot of grains of salt. And humans are so mimetic that you put a, a very charismatic spokesperson for something, someone who's very likable and, and that people relate to, and they're going to take those feelings that they have for the person and they associate it with the products, right? That's why like Nike pays these athletes millions and millions of dollars because, well, lots of people love them and they're going to associate that love and that respect with the product, right? That's kind of like the same trick that Lumen seems to be pulling here. And also the fact that Elena Heli is the daughter of the CEO. It's like, well, if it's good enough for my daughter, right? It's good enough for anyone. <laughs> but that's the public-facing part of it. But the public is not going to see that on the inside, she's trying to hang herself in the elevator and trying to get out, and she can't. She's trapped in purgatory forever, right? Well, not forever for her, but that's the other, other very scary aspect of it. That like It's so scary when you think about it, but all of the innies, if the Audi decides that they don't want to work there anymore, it's like the innie dies, right? They're never going to wake up again. When they have the retirement party for Bert, everybody's like, 
oh, well, congrats. But a few people realize that basically it's a funeral. <laughs> right. So if you die in that office, you, do, you never come out of the office, right? Like, is, is that how that works? Is that your takeaway? Let's say if she tried to commit suicide. So if she died, let's say, yep. I don't know whether you can even die. I, I don't know. But let's say if she could die, does that mean uh, the Audi also dies? Yeah, because they're sharing the same body. So if if right, you, right, like if, if, yeah. if she was to cut her arm in the inside, well... <laughs> Tough luck yeah. for the Audi, right? Um, that's why they have, like, Mark at some point has, a, like, a bruise on his face. I think, is it when he got the mug in the face? or I don't remember. But yeah. And, and then and he's on the outside and he realizes, but they left him a note like, oh, you tripped and you fell or something like that, right? They make up a reason, but you can never yeah. really know what happened. Like, I even think they mentioned at one point that, like, someone got pregnant on the inside. And, like, what? Can you imagine that the, the trauma and the abuse that could take place when you don't remember anything? No, so I guess my question is what's going on with Miss Haley because she is the daughter of the founder. So does that mean even his daughter is not aware of the extent of the technology? Or I think she doesn't know what it's like to live there, right? I think no, she knows the she theory that it's like, oh, you're not even going to remember and it's fine and we treat you well and it's a nice office and like you, you can sell it, but to live it without being able to escape, without being able to have any life and any memory of the outside. It's like you're, you're kind of born in there. It's all that you know, and it's kind of soul-crushing, right? And so, but she probably thought that, well, I'm going to do it for a while, like a couple of weeks or something. It's a PR stunt. And then after that, she's never coming back, right? Elena has a way out. She can just, after the publicity thing is done, she can just never go back. But the others don't really have a choice. Okay, let me put this kind of thought experiment then. So let's say... You know that if this technology takes off, you will be kind of the richest person in the world or like crazy amount of money. It doesn't have to be the richest person in the world, but let's say tens of billion, maybe $100 billion. If this technology takes off and obviously like it's so hard to even think for the Audi that Ini is a real person, right? Because the Audi doesn't know. Audi has no idea what's going on in there. It's just imagination. And if I ask someone, like, hey, what's going on in there? Oh, they just go and sit there. That sounds like not a big deal. Like, and yeah. like you work in a nice office, right? Right. So if the deal was you get to be one of the richest person in the world, $100 billion or whatever, and you just have to let's assign somewhere that you will, you know, you will let this kind of you know, imaginary character go through this experience. If that were the deal... I can imagine most people would take it. So even if she knew, I don't know what she knew, but like, you know, I can see why she would be tempted. Like even if that person is suffering as she is or she was, the Audi has no idea. Audi is doing great as an Audi, right? You know, she's becoming richer and richer. She's getting more fame. Everyone is following her. She has the life she dreams about. So would she stop that? for this abstract idea of suffering that this fake character is going through, like who is not even like a real person, right? Yeah, no, in Elena's case, right? Her whole life with her family is Lumen and all that. So she has a huge incentive to go through with it, even if she gets some signals that the Innie is in distress, right? Because with the suicide attempt, it's hard not to get the message there. For the other characters... I don't know. It feels harder to me because the only thing we have is time, right? 
And so to give away like half of your life that you can't remember and you can't live, it feels like a big sacrifice, even if you're getting a paycheck, even if the any wasn't suffering, even if it was just boring work. Okay. That let, would me be a... for, let me go to <laughs> another uh, thought experiment then. What do you think? How many people would take this opportunity that if you go through this experience, go through this like severance experiment and you become, let's say this company promises you, you'll be 50% more productive, right? And you get more promotions, you get more money, and you just don't know what's going on in there. Do you think a minority of the people will take that opportunity? I think it depends on the people, right? Because I like what I do, so I would want to know about it. But some people have terrible jobs, terrible work. or you I, know, I think it's fair to say most people don't enjoy what they do. Hmm. Uh, I'm thinking from global perspective, yeah. like truly global. Like someone who is in Bangladesh and, and basically just pulling rickshaw every day, it's not the most fun job that yeah. you can imagine. That's probably the most of the people in the world. When you think about work, it's not like just in the white collar people working at this super fun. For Michael Scott. Right, right. So it can be a lot of menial jobs, a lot of people who are not really, it's not fun, right? Even even for like, you know, I don't know, like if, when I think about going through blind, like, anonym, like a sort of anonymous online forum where people just talk about their workplace, the emphasis on total compensation, what they call TC, is just mind-boggling. People care deeply about mm. their TC. Like they are, it is clear to me that a lot of people's identity is associated with what is your TC is in your company, right? Now think about it. this technology allows you to be much more productive. So you'll probably gain more promotion. You'll get more TC, right? Yeah. Uh, so... And like, you know, you don't remember. And maybe a lot of people don't have very fun family. They almost, you know, many of them probably try to hide from their family. Right? <laughs> so I think it's not a 1% thing. It could be minority, but it's probably not low single digit. It, pr- it could be some double digit number. Uh, would, would be willing to go through that experiment. Yeah. And I think the percentage of people who would agree to it is not fixed, right? So depending how you sell it, if you have glossy videos showing severed people being super happy and that hey, you're going to be one of them and yep. you raise the compensation and at some point a lot of people have a price, right? It's like, well, for 80K, I'm not going to give up like seven hours a day or eight hours a day, but oh, for 150, for 200K, for like at some point, a lot of people would do it just for the money, right? There is another reason a lot of people may be incentivized. I think about it, like let's say you work at some of these big tech companies and only 2% of the people opted in to go through this uh, severance experiment. My guess is like if these people are, you know, if the baseline is that they are actually, generally speaking, they're good employees and they become supercharged in terms of productivity, in terms of their utilization of time. What if next year, let's say Google is giving, let's say they have a rating system. I know they have a rating system. I don't know exactly the terminologies. Let's say one on a scale of one to five, five being the top rating. Let's say the number of people who got five next year, majority of them went through severance Hmm. experiment. So that creates the message to the ones who didn't go through it. Once you go through the severance experiment, you become so much more productive. You make so much more money. You have so much more TC, right? So, and at some point, obviously, if everyone has gone through that severance experiment, there is no benefit. There is no relative advantage and everybody is like more so the company benefits 
you know, the company who invented that thing, they are the ones who benefit. Ultimately, it just all evens out. Nothing really changes in terms of the relative standing. But in the in the beginning stage, I think there will be significant pressure if that's how it pans out. Like people who go through the self-governance experiment, they all end up becoming the top performers and they, they get more promotions. They become the top management. Let's say that all the top Silicon Valley CEOs went through severance experiment. What, what's the message that you're giving? <laughs> yeah, and it gets normalized too, right? Because when something's new, it's weird. Like nobody wants to do it, but yeah. you see it for long enough, it becomes normal. I remember when uh, AirPods came out and people felt they looked weird, right? You have these little white sticks in your ear, and it's, it's, you felt self-conscious wearing those in public. But now it's like super normal, right? And that's yeah. a small example, but I feel like at first everybody would think severance is super weird. But then yeah. like a few years later, you, you keep seeing several people on TV and they look fine. And <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a good thought experiment. You look fine, happy, rich, and every, every positive traits that you can think of. Like you think about Miss Haley, like everybody's interviewing her. Like she has this big audience. Like everything's great. Like, yeah, once you kind of experience that, once you kind of you know, watch that, you may feel tempted. And yeah, in the initial years, people will be. And that's why maybe Miss Haley is doing it. She knows that the Audi will be fine. The Audi has already has a great life, right? She just needs to show people that it's okay. It's normal. It's not this weird little thing that you don't want to. And, and that's the thing, like, once it's like base level, like you are expected to go through severance experiment, then the company makes a buttload <laughs> of money, right? One aspect that we see in the series is when they show us that there is a procedure to wake up, basically mm. when they're outside, wake up the innie, right? So you get, uh, I think it's Milchik waking up Dylan in his closet to mm -hmm. ask him some questions, but he's outside of the office. I thought that was a great reminder in the series that all the people that we see on screen that we haven't seen outside of the office, well, they still have a life outside, right? Because we see it for Mark, but we tend to forget that Irving and, and Dylan, they, they also have a life outside, right? But then he meets his kid, which mm -hmm. wasn't supposed to happen. Well, the any after that, how do you stop thinking about that, right? So if we, we keep the thought experiment alive and this could be possible in the real world, How do you keep the innies and the outies segregated, right? At some point, like the people at Google, maybe they find out, well, I have a family, I, mm -hmm. I have a wife, I have kids. I, how do you stop thinking about that? And would that kind of like break the severance at some point, right? Break the, like, I'm not okay anymore with not knowing what's outside out there, right? I want a real life too. I don't want to just work all day and all night to benefit someone else who's me in theory, but who's not me subjectively, right? They're kind of like slaves. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's a good point. I think, you know, we all know no technology can be 100% perfect, right? So there will be bugs and those bugs will lead to recollection of those memories that you have a family, you have a kid, right? I can imagine all sorts of ways that people may find it repulsive. Like, for example, you are at work, so you have no idea what's going on in the outer world, but your kid has an accident outside mm. and you oh, don't yeah. know, you can't wow. know, right? Yeah, so obviously these things will happen uh, if I continue to kind of, you know, run this thought experiment. So in that case, people will be, no, I, I want to know what's going on. I don't want to be oblivious to what's going on with my family, right? So, but again, I think it's kind of the flywheel thing, right? So and like I said, if it starts going on, if it becomes more normal, who knows? Like, I feel like we are, like you said, we are very mimetic, right? So... Like that is that would be a significant social pressure. Like ten percent people doing it, and those the people who are doing it are doing great, 
again, optically at least, right? They are getting <laughs> all the promotions. They have all the money. They are, the Audis are having fun. So, you know, like they get to think about it. Like if you go to San Francisco and all the beach houses, like, you know, in any area, like imagine all the beach houses are bought by <laughs> people who have gone through this several experiments. And that would create such a significant social pressure. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, you know, I can't just remain this human. I need to go through this you know, <laughs> uh, this ex- experiment to make sure I'm providing for my family. I'm, I'm, I'm buying this next beach house, right? And that's the thing, like, you know, I was just reading, like, you know, this funny, well, to me, at least it's funny, in Reddit post, like, I, I think he works at a FANG and he mentioned, like, who are these people who are buying this 10 million plus, uh, you know, dollar house? I saw that. And he was kind of like, how am I supposed to afford this 10 million dollar house? I, I, right. like, I'm in my 30s and I only have 2.5 million. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 can, I can guarantee you that whoever the person is, he's, go, he's willing to go through the seven. <laughs> oh, for sure. Someone who has an other scorecard like that, right? And he's only yeah. valuing himself in relations to others around him is definitely right. going to go severed. If severance seems like the, the thing to do to climb the ladder but then the other question if we keep the thought experiment right because it's just a thought experiment like, mm-hmm. i'm not saying you're going to invest in lumen industries tomorrow right but um i'm not sure if being severed would help you with work in the types of works that create the most value right like mm-hmm. if you're looking at numbers on the screen like, it doesn't matter but if you have to be creative don't you need like all of your life experiences outside and to have input to to generate that creativity, even if you're a coder or something, you still need to some amount of creativity to do that. And if you're kind of like a blank slate and you wake up on a table and like you don't know anything about anything, I think that would kind of stunt your your ability to be creative and think outside the box. But I don't know. That's another thought experiment. No, it is. I think uh, then we'll have a much clearer answer to this pesky question about nature versus nurture. Right. Yeah, yeah, that would be a good way to do uh, all kinds of psychology experiments. Right. If it's all nature, let's say if it's 100% nature, then that shouldn't be a problem. You're just a creative person. Genetically, you're just a creative person and you will still be as just as creative. But if, if nature, sorry, nurture has a significant role, then yes, then the severance thing would probably kill your productivity to a significant extent. I don't know, like, what's the consensus. I think that my, my guess is the consensus is, is some, some, some sort of a mix of nature and nurture, right? But we don't really know to what extent. What I've seen is that the genetic component is higher than most people think. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The best studies for that are twin studies, like identical yep. twins, who are basically genetic clones, but that have been raised separately, right? They were separated at birth or you know, given in adoption or something and so they were raised in very very different environments and so you can kind of judge like what's the genetics and what's the what's the environmental factors Mm. and uh like uh i know that steven pinker's book the blank slate is covers that a lot and it seems that a lot of the time like the genes are very very strong people end up more similar than you would expect but there's still always like environmental nurture aspect to it yeah, I, I I read that book, and there are a lot of uncomfortable <laughs> stuff in there. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, no, but I, that's what I was saying. Like, if we'd have much more definitive answer, if uh, you know some sort of technology like this were available, then yeah, if if you would still be just as creative, that would probably lead to the conclusion that it's probably all nature and very little. Well, though at the same time, like the creativity could come from the genes largely. But the genes that built your brain would still need the input of all kinds of yeah. life experiences, right? Mm-hmm. So being always in the same office, in the same room with the same people may yeah. not be enough input in the short term. 
not the nurture kind of like my how my parents raised me when I was five, but the nurture of like the moment. If your brain is only seeing the same room all the time, your creativity probably drops after a while. Yeah. I wanted to do a kind of rapid fire, not rapid fire, but just go over a few of the points uh, before we end. Mm-hmm. Other things that stood out to me, like the concept of the board who's always like speaking through like someone else, right? With a Mm -hmm. a little earpiece. And I thought that was really cool, really creepy. And I feel like there's a big reveal in there. The fact that we're not seeing or hearing the board. Who's on the board, right? Is it people we know? Is Mark on the board? Like who knows, right? I don't think it works right with what we've seen, but there's something going on with the board. (laughs) I don't know if you have the same feeling I do, but it feels like there's something there. Yeah, that old guy, like the founder, I guess, of Lumen, He's on the board, right? Um, the guy that we see at the end, I think is James uh, James Keir or Egan. I, I think he's the current CEO. He's the father of Heli and he's the descendant of the original founder. Uh, mm. So it's kind of like a family dynasty, right? So I guess he's on the board, but who else? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely creepy. And uh, the board is generally, it's not supposed to be just one person. So yeah. there has to be multiple people in there. If Miss Cobell was not fired, I would probably imagine she may be also part, like she may be CEO and she may be part of the board. Sounds like there are more layers between Miss Cobell and and the board. And like this one lady, I think she comes to the office once in a while as some sort of mediator between the board. Yeah, I think it's Natalie. And that's the thing, right? Yeah. You never hear the board directly. And so yeah. Natalie could be pretending to be speaking with the board, but she's running some stuff. And Cobell at some point says that, right? Is it, is it just you? And then someone on the speakerphone says, whatever, we're here. Or that someone mm-hmm. speaks and then they say, okay, no, the board's really there. But maybe sometimes the board isn't there and Natalie is just running things. Or I, I don't know. That's another question, right? Yeah. No, lots of unanswered questions. And they have high expectation to match in season two. Hopefully it will be there. Yeah, the next thing is all of the parties, right? What did you think of the dance party, the melon party, the waffle party? It was the weirdest one, right? It's kind of like a ritualistic, like almost satanic, like weird animalistic thing with the mask and the weird dance. And that was so weird to see, like, everybody's so, like, buttoned up all the time. Like, Milchik is always, like, trying to be professional. And then there's the dance party where he's, like, dancing around with the flashing red lights. And I love how visually and like they create all these dynamics where it's like, you know, there's a huge contrast between those weird parties and boring ass everyday life. Here's the funny thing. After watching the waffle party, I thought to myself, did I ever have waffle in life? In my life? (laughs) Oh man, you need next time you're here. Gonna make you waffles. On the very next day, I actually did have waffle. My wife was telling me you did like probably once, right? Mm. Do you like it? I'm not sure whether I actually had it. But yeah, now I know for sure I did have waffle in my life. But yeah, you know, it, it's also very strange and weird. And it doesn't seem to be that big of a deal. Like, you know, it's just some weird people are dancing and you just have a waffle, right? Well, uh, it's weird for a corporate setting. That's the thing. And the thing is, it's not Dylan's first waffle party, right? He seems right. to know what it is. Okay, and, yeah. But that's the thing. If someone is only always on the inside... You can kind of brainwash them however you want, right? And so to them, weird things can be kind of, mm-hmm. oh, that's just the way things are here, right? Like another thing that this series remind me of is uh, there's a computer game called Bioshock and there's two of them. And it's always set in a world where it's like, oh, some crazy rich billionaire built up like a underwater kind of city uh, based on all of his like ideology mm-hmm. and ideas or in the sky, right? In the second game. The whole severance thing, like the perpetuity wing with all of the statues and all of the, the paintings of the story of the family, the, this whole like kind of like a, it's like a cult, that kind of aspect of it 
to the people on the inside can seem kind of normal because they've never known anything else, right? It's a, it's a way to brainwash them. Well, yeah, absolutely. I, I think, just think about what you went through in the last 12, 18 months. Like, thousands of people have decided a rock is worth $500,000 and we just nodded along. Yes, that's $500,000, <laughs> right? Yeah, a JPEG of a rock. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I think I was more shocked by the rock than JPEG. I, I, when I watched the JPEG thing, I was like, okay, I probably don't understand this, what's going on. Maybe it's just a community thing or whatever they what were talking about. But the rock was like, what is going on? Like, <laughs> yeah. There's not even a pretense of community or all that stuff. It's just, I don't know, it's nothing, right? And it's and people are telling me that's $500,000 or whatever we're uh, selling for. Like I said, I, I, I always maintain that the reality is almost always stranger than fiction. They can, I think our imagination is limited compared to what reality can offer. And once something happens in reality, then we can probably expand our imagination and tinker with it. It would not surprise me at all. Like, I don't think it would take much to convince us something is worth fighting for or spend, spending our life for, right? For something that many people may find silly later. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of that is going on even today. My wife thinks my job is kind of funny. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, mine does too. <laughs> right, exactly. So so that we don't even have to go, go to a different time. We can just look at each other. And I'm pretty sure a lot of us find others' work kind of funny, kind of, you know, irrelevant uh, or not super valuable or whatever. So, yeah, uh, but, you know... The people who are doing what they're doing, they're probably doing it with a lot more commitment and a lot more sincerity and seriousness. And they probably think this is much more important and valuable. Yeah, I think uh, that's a good place to end it. I'm going to end with a couple of trivia things that I found about the series, mm -hmm. little things that people have noticed. On the computer terminals at the Macrodata Refinement office, there's no escape key on the keyboards. Huh. I, th I thought that was a nice touch. Interesting. Um, and when Ellie, she finishes her work and then they have, like, they've reached their targets for the quarter. So her, her computer shows, like, a little animation, like, old school, like, 90s computer graphics animation of, like, the founder here, like, flying on an eagle or something. It's ridiculous. But the voiceover there is uh, done by Ben Stiller, the producer of the series. Hmm. Well, that's kind of cool. And the last one is the building, the amazing Lumen building. Every time I see it from the sky, I'm like, wow, that must be CGI. That looks too good, right? That's, that's amazing. And then um, I was mentioning that on Twitter and someone replied on my thread that his father worked there. He recognized it. It's the old Bell Labs building. And so I looked it up and it is the Bell Labs building in uh, Olmdale in New Jersey. Uh, and so the connection with recent podcast is Claude Shannon worked at Bell Labs. I assume it was in that building. Maybe it was somewhere else. But there's the Shannon connection right there. <laughs> it's all connected. Oh, and the big water tower in front of the building, it looks like a transistor. Because the transistor was invented there. It may not be a water tower. It may be a sculpture mm -hmm. of a transistor. I don't know. But that's another little trivia thing. Interesting. Great. No, I really enjoyed. Uh, thanks for recommending definitely convinced me to give it a shot second shot and i'm glad i did thank you for joining me it's always fun to share things we like with others it's a way to appreciate them more i find and the best films and series are the ones that you can talk about afterwards and you can uh, relive them in your mind and turn them around in all directions and find new things about them so severance definitely was one of them i hope that they they keep the quality as high for season two hopefully yep 
All right. Have a good day, my friend. Bye-bye. 